as a result, I developed this belief that I was unattractive. Um, and even when I started collecting evidence to the contrary, even when I started <laughs> dating, you know, really attractive women, and even when I started, you know, getting laid and, you know, sleeping with really attractive women, even when really attractive women told me I was attractive, I didn't believe them. to another episode. I am thrilled to have Tony Endelman with me. He is um, a 1000% expert on Dr. Glover's work and has written a book uh, distilling the wisdom of over 40 years of Dr. Glover's work. And it's called The Big Stick. Um, and so he's an author and a speaker. I mean, you are now, if you weren't before, you're speaking here. So... <laughs> Um, and today we're talking about depression and anxiety and how they interact with sex and dating and relationships and all of that. And I'm really, really thrilled to be doing this because this is a big topic that comes up a lot and I haven't really done an episode on it yet. So thank you for being here and speaking to this important subject. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. So we we chatted a little bit before uh we got on here but I'm 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 wondering if you can maybe tell us a little bit about your own story, uh sort of where you started and how you came to Dr. Glover's work because you put a lot of energy into that and I think there's a there's there's a lot that can be said about your own personal journey and how it how it um relates to this. Yeah, for sure. Um I think I mean for well um, you mentioned, uh, I think a big topic we're going to cover today is depression and anxiety. And I, I have always um, battled depression. Um, you know, I spent years going to psychologists and therapists and counselors and the like, and they always diagnosed me with, I think it's called dysthymia, which is like this low grade chronic depression. Um and the thing about that is it's if you have that, which I guess is what I had, it's pretty easy to spiral, uh, you know, and um, right around my 30th birthday, a whole confluence of things happened that that caused me to spiral. And um, and um, I was in a pretty dark place, um, you know, just before my 30th birthday, my father died suddenly and unexpectedly. Um, he was um, like the picture of health and he, you know, didn't smoke, didn't drink, ate healthy every day. And he he essentially dropped dead while exercising at the gym. So that, um, that really uh, kind of rocked my world. It was a shock to my family and um not just my family but the whole community and um 
And and that really opened my eyes. Uh, you know, it sent me into a pretty dark depression, but um, ultimately it, it made me realize like, you know, holy shit, like this is, life is, I, I, you don't know how long or short it is. It's very unpredictable. And, um, and also around that time, you know, I, geez, I tried starting, I detested my nine to five job. I had tried starting, starting a marketing company that failed. I published a humor book that sold like zero copies. I had absolutely zero romantic dating prospects. You know, I had very little confidence in that area. I ruined a bunch of friendships. I was becoming like bitter and angry. I was becoming reclusive. And, you know, the, 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 all this stuff was going on at the same time for me. And and I, I was living in, in Omaha, Nebraska at the time, by the way, which is my hometown. And, um, and again, like my father's passing really knocked me on my ass and made me realize, you know, I'm just, if I don't make some changes in my life, I'm just, I'm just going to sit in this apartment and rot. <laughs> Basically that that's how I felt. Um, so I, I started making some real changes in my life. Um, you know, I think in my email to you, I said, I blew up my life and, and, um, and I did, I, I, I just, I had to, I, like I said, if, if I didn't make really big profound changes and face some of my fears, I, I honestly was just going to sit in my apartment in Omaha and rot. So, um, you know, uh, I, I went down the self-help rabbit hole as, as many, many people do. And, um, I didn't really know what I was looking for. I just, <laughs> you know, you, you, well, I think a lot of us go down that self-help rabbit hole and, you know, we're looking for help. We're looking for answers. We're looking for solutions, but we don't really know what, <laughs> what exactly we're looking for, or what's going to help us. But you know, I, I stumbled across this model of NLP, <laughs> which at the time I didn't even know what the hell NLP was, but it just said there are six levels of human change and transformation. And the first and easiest level is change your environment. So I thought, fuck, why not start there? So I, um, I packed up my shit and I moved to New Orleans, which is where I live now because I had fallen madly in love with new Orleans on a road trip. So, um, I thought moving to this really magical city that like enlivened me would be a panacea for all my woes. And, and that was hardly the case. Uh, <laughs> I brought all my bullshit with me. Um, you know, when I got to new Orleans, I started repeating a lot of the same patterns. You know, I, I found myself in another toxic job. I, found myself uh in another toxic dating situation and um and and actually it was this toxic uh dating situation um i had become really infatuated with this with this woman i that um i thought you know she was the most beautiful woman i'd ever met and 
she made me feel like I was the most incredible man she had ever met. And we started dating and I couldn't believe that this woman was going out with me. I, 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 I couldn't believe I'd gotten so lucky. Um, and, um, you know, we, we, we dated for a few months and it was a real emotional roller coaster. Like she would, you know, pull me in and push me away. And, you know, she would kind of accuse me of things I never did. And, um, you know, I, I won't, I won't get into all the details of that particular, uh, situation ship or whatever you want to call it, but she ended up dumping me very, very cruelly and did it by a text message. And it was like probably the meanest text message anyone's ever sent me. And I was just devastated. I was crippled with heartbreak, you know, but the thing is I decided instead of just like dismissing her as like, Oh, she's crazy or she's a narcissist or she's a psycho or something. That's cause we tend to do that. Right. We kind of, uh, blame everything on them and we throw these words around like crazy or narcissist or whatever. Instead of doing that, I just, I said, you know what? Like this is, uh, <laughs> I, you can't, there's no way I've dated seven narcissists in a row. Like this is, this is me. This, this, uh, <clears throat> this is, uh, I played a role in this. So, you know, I started examining my own behavior and, um, that's what led me to Dr. Glover's work. Ultimately, <laughs> I guess that's a very long winded way of getting there, but I think like many guys, yeah, it was a, it was a heartbreak that led me to discover no more Mr. Nice guy. Um, and that book, uh, just like, like countless other men, that book was a real eye opener, a real whack upside the head. Um, it was the only thing I'd ever read that seemed to really explain the beliefs and behaviors that seem to govern my existence. And, uh, after I read that book, um, around that time I was getting, uh, my certification to become a life coach. Cause I was trying to make this career pivot. And so after I read that book, I reached out to Dr. Glover and, um, ended up going to one of his workshops and um, that was a really transformative experience. And then after I got back from that workshop, I um, kind of pestered Dr. Glover and made a conscious effort to stay in touch with him and cultivate this relationship with him. And, uh, and it worked. <laughs> uh, he became a really close friend and the greatest mentor in my life. And um um, we wrote this book together and, um, and, you know, I, I ended up becoming one of his, um, certified no more Mr. Nice Guy coaches. So I work with a lot of nice guys in my own coaching business. Hmm. Yeah. I'm curious. So a couple of things caught my attention. One was that idea of breakdown to break through that 
you know, like so many men, a big part of your journey was the heartbreak and the pain of a relationship ending. And just like, it's such a crushing, you know, use the word devastating, but I guess I just want to validate anyone out there who's in that space now, or who has been in that space that it's one of the most devastating things I think we go through as human beings. There's, there's nothing quite like that kind of pain. There's lots of different kinds of pain in the world. I'm not minimizing any of them, but there's something crushing. There's something that can be crushing about that. And oh, you know, absolutely. Yeah. And you mentioned, you know, your depression and I'm curious, you know, can you say a little bit about your experience, you know, blowing up your life and moving, moving cities, which was not the only I think you also quit your job. Like you made a bunch of shifts at the same time. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about how that impacted your um, sort of depressive tendencies and how, you know, because I think that you're, you're someone who you are not as depressed now as you used to be. Is that fair? No, to say? That is, yeah, that's fair to say. So yeah. In that journey, can you bring us in a little bit as to how, how you made that transition? Yeah. Um, do you want me to say anything about the, the heartbreak issue first? <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely have a lot to say on that, but, um, yeah, I mean, to answer your question, um, I think f- first of all, um, I, I'm not a doctor, so I can only speak from my, my own experience, uh, with depression and my own research on it. Um, I, I do not think that, um, happiness is something you can just choose or flick on like a switch, nor do I think depression is something you can just flick off. Um, and so I don't think that happiness is just a choice. Um, what I do think is a choice, though, is doing the work. Um, and so, you know, like I mentioned before, I I tried all kinds of stuff. I went to traditional talk therapy. I went to psychologists. I tried medication. I also tried all kind of alternative, uh, you know, I tried light therapy and hypnosis and, you know, a lot of the stuff seem like practical jokes to be honest. Um not not much work for me. So I I had to come up with a regimen that worked for me. I had to um discover tools that worked for me. Um and um so you know some just some of those things include like meditation was a real game changer for me. Um, I went and learned transcendental meditation and really made a point to implement that into my life. Um, uh, it sounds maybe silly, maybe not, but just obviously just eating healthier, uh, getting some exercise. I started implementing those things into my life. Um, but circling back to your question, um, making really big profound changes in my life um helped tremendously with my depression and i'll tell you why because i think that most of us 
are on this quest to find happiness. And the thing about that is happiness is an abstract concept. I don't think many of us can actually define it or describe it or explain it. And there's heaps of psychological research out there saying that our collective quest for happiness is the very thing that fucks us all up and makes us miserable. And so, uh, so that being said, I, I took inventory of my life and I, you know, identified the things that were making me unhappy. (laughs) So again, I had a job that I hated, you know, I was living in a city that I'm not speaking ill of Omaha, but I had become incredibly bored and stagnant there. Um, you know, I had zero romantic prospects. And so it's like, so basically I took stock of my life, identified the things that were really dragging me down and changed those things. So I moved to a new city. Um, yeah. Was it scary? Did it make me uncomfortable? Of course. But Again, it was one of those big things that I felt like I had to change. And was it a cure for all my woes? Of course not, but it was a really great start, you know? And then when I got to New Orleans, <clears throat> you know, I I did. I took another toxic job, but but again, that was part of the process of going, okay, this is a really big part of my life that's dragging me down. I need to fix this. So I I started making a career pivot. And again, was it hard? Yeah. W- w- did it make me uncomfortable? Yeah. Was it scary? Yeah. But, you know, uh, again, like it was either stay in a situation that was making me miserable or fix it. Um and 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 turn it into something that that actually enlivens me and and brings me some joy you know so coaching brings me joy writing brings me joy like all the things i'm doing now bring me joy um I, yeah i want to say i have a lot of respect for you it feels like part of what you're describing is the hero's journey which is you know was it hard yeah was it scary yeah and that's sort of the epitome of bravery is it's hard and scary and I'm still doing it. <laughs> so I just want to applaud your courage and your willingness to lean into discomfort, right? Places where you're like, I don't know what it's going to be like. I don't know exactly where I'm going to live yet. I don't know what my life is going to look like. I'm leaving behind things that are familiar. And yeah. often we have a sense of safety around things that are familiar, but that yeah. doesn't mean they're good for us. Just because well, it doesn't yeah. mean and I appreciate you saying that, but you know, one of the things like, for example, when I quit my, my last nine to five job that I had, you know, when I just upped and quit and decided to go, you know, <laughs> full, just dive headfirst into my entrepreneurial endeavors. Um, you know, I asked myself, okay, what's scarier actually like quitting my job, taking a chance on myself going after something I really want or 
sitting in this fucking cubicle for the rest of my life, you know, doing something I hate, um, doing something I don't care about, building other people's dreams instead of my own. And so when I asked myself, what's scarier? You know, that second option was way scarier. Like, just the idea of spending the rest of my life being that unhappy, being in that situation, not going after the things I wanted to go after, that that was just way scarier to me. You know, same with leaving Omaha. It's like, yeah, I didn't know a soul in New Orleans, uh, you know, um, and uh, and it was and I was it was, you know, I had this like sweet apartment in Omaha that I was uh, a t- kind of attached to, and uh, and uh, but I but again I thought what's scarier like going to this city that I find really magical or just staying here and sitting in this apartment, you know, and um, so I, I appreciate what you're saying, but I think. I really do. But I think if people get honest with themselves and go, what's okay, what's scarier? You know, um, it kind of makes it, it, it I don't know, kind of, it, it makes me feel less, <laughs> less brave, you know, and less courageous when, when, when it really came down to, you know, taking a chance on myself actually seemed less scary to me. Yeah, then stagnating and really not, really truly not moving forward. And, you know, there's the famous quote, I think it's by Jung, who says, the unexamined life is not worth living. So just because someone is existing in the world doesn't mean they're truly alive. And in order to come truly alive, it seems to me that there is going to be fear and obstacles. You know, that is the hero's journey that we're sort of all on is, how the fuck do I live a meaningful life? <laughs> like, yeah. what does that actually mean? How yeah. do I do that? Well, <laughs> yeah, that's an existential conundrum that I think causes a lot of people depression too, you know? Well, right. And that's why we're talking about this because, you know, depression and anxiety are probably the most common states of being for humanity, right? <laughs> They're It's so common and and so many people are contending with all the different layers of it. And I think that your story is inspiring because, you know, as we've mentioned, you are less depressed now than you used to be. So there is hope, you know, it doesn't have to stay the way that it is. And I think that that's one of the things when we're in those states, it's so easy to feel like this is how it will be forever. This is right. just how it is and how it will be. And so at a low energy point, it's hard for us to even imagine what a higher yeah. energy point would be. So I'm curious, yeah. can you share a little bit about um, your experience kind of getting to a higher energy point? Do you feel like shaking up your environment helped bridge you to the rest of what... It sounds like that. It sounds like it helped bridge you to the rest of your growth path. Um, it's kind of like shook up your environment, got into a new toxic job and a new toxic relationship. And we're like, oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but that you know yeah. Had fine yeah. yeah changing my environment really was a great start um again it was not a cure-all it was not a panacea you know i don't think there really are geographical cures i think 
it's true. Like wherever you go, there you are. But I do think it is a fantastic start, particularly if you're feeling stagnant or bored or you're becoming reclusive um, or you've discovered a, any sort of place that's like calls to you. Like you should follow that, you know, but you know, you, you hit the nail on the head. Our, our brains prize the familiar, our, our brains try and keep us safe and protect us. Um, but that isn't always a good thing. Um, and a lot of the times what our brains are telling us is complete fucking bullshit. Um, and so I think that's where a lot of depression and anxiety comes from, to be honest, is we, we listen to the stories that our minds tell us. And those stories are quite often bullshit. Uh, those stories uh, are quite often something our mind is telling us to keep us safe. You know, one of the things that I learned from Dr. Glover, um, and one of the things that he really helped me with is, you know, he taught me to become the observer of my thoughts, not the believer of them. You know, and, uh, you know, circling back to depression and anxiety and, and even the nice guy syndrome, it's like so many men have, um, so many men carry around toxic shame from often from childhood experiences, which is kind of the, the root of nice guy syndrome. But so many guys carry around toxic shame, flawed core beliefs about themselves, about the world about women and dating. Um, But beliefs are just thoughts you keep thinking. And if you can learn to step outside yourself and observe your thoughts and observe the stories you're you're telling yourself instead of believing them, um, again, it's not easy. it's, It's practice. It takes work. It takes effort. It takes a shitload of mindfulness and consciousness. But if you can, if you can really become the observer, learn to become the observer of your thoughts, not the believer of them, you can break away from a lot of your depression and anxiety. Uh, you know, I think that's really kind of rooted in, I think that's sort of a Buddhist concept. Um, you know, but, um, that was one of the things that Dr. Glover really helped me with was just, you know, helping me see that I just have I just have a, a ruminating brain <laughs> and I tell myself a lot of bullshit stories. And a lot of my depression and anxiety came from me believing those bullshit stories. And that's one of the things I mentioned meditation earlier. Meditation really helps with that. Um, mm. Meditation is the simplest and most effective tool I know of to, to combat your monkey mind. Mm. Um, So that was a real game changer for me. Yeah. Can you, can you share a little bit about just a few of the common stories that you had? Cause I have a feeling some of them will be universal, uh, particularly around dating or relationships or, you know, that, sphere of sort of what you used to believe or say over and over and how you interrupted that? Yeah. Well, my, my biggest, well, first of all, my, 
probably my biggest self-limiting belief that I developed early on in childhood was I just grew up thinking I was deeply unattractive. I, I, I was, you know, ignored by women, you know, when I was younger and throughout high school and, um, you know, I was, uh, you know, I was quite tall and lanky and, uh, I guess, you know, maybe a little goofy looking, but, you know, I just never got attention from women growing up. So, um, so as a result, I developed this belief that I was unattractive. Um, and even when I started collecting evidence to the contrary, even when I started <laughs> dating, you know, really attractive women. And even when I started, you know, getting laid and, you know, sleeping with really attractive women, even when really attractive women told me I was attractive, I didn't believe them, you know? And so it's like, you you have to kind of play uh, like judge, jury and prosecutor with yourself. Like at some point, I had to go like, okay, what evidence do I have that I'm deeply unattractive? Like your date, you, you've, you've, you've created this really active dating life for yourself. Like you're, you're, you know, you're getting laid. You're <laughs> you, all these beautiful women are agreeing to go out with you and whatever. It's like, don't you have enough evidence at this point? to prove that maybe you're at least somewhat attractive. Um, so that was always my, um, my probably my biggest self-limiting belief, but, but beyond that, um, you know, uh, I, when it came to women and dating and sex and relationships, um, I was the ultimate nice guy. Um, I thought I had to, um, I thought I had to, you know, I was passive aggressive. I never set boundaries. I never spoke up for myself. I spent all my try time trying to please women, trying to get their approval, bending over backwards to make them happy. Um, you know, uh, and I thought that was, that was, I thought that's what you're supposed to do. I thought that's how you're supposed to win over women. And I thought that's how you're supposed to win the appreciation and affection and attention of women. Um, and, uh, that's just not the case. That shit just doesn't work at all. <laughs> um, and that doesn't mean be an asshole, but, you know, I think that a lot of, first of all, a lot of men, including, I included myself in this category, a lot of men have uh, an illusion or possibly even a delusion about what a woman or women can do for them. So, you know, I always thought if only I had a woman, if only, if I, if only, if only I could meet a woman, if only I had a girlfriend, uh, you know, uh, if, if only I had a partner, uh, my life would be complete. I would be happy all the broken pieces of my life would come together. I, I, if only I had a woman, um, 
you know, and that's just, uh, that's a really flawed and immature way of thinking. Um, um, it's not, uh, first of all, it's, it's not accurate. Another person, you know, um, for all the men out there, a woman is not going to complete you or make you happy or meet all your needs. Um, that stuff comes from within, first of all. And second of all, she can. Like, what an enormous fucking burden to place on another person. So, you know, I had to change my whole paradigm around that. Um, and, you know, I had to really work at overcoming a lot of those nice guy tendencies. And I had to really shift my thinking around what women want and what attracts women and it's not the people pleasing approval seeking passive aggressive doormat of a nice guy <laughs> like women want they don't and they don't want an you know they don't want an asshole but they want a man they want yeah. a man and but again most most men um I, you know, a lot of this is rooted in fear, right? It's like, again, circling back to anxiety, it's anxiety and fear. Well, if I, if I stand up for myself, if I speak my truth, if I set boundaries, if I make my needs a priority, how is she going to react? What's she going to think? I might be found out. She might leave me, you know, there's all kinds of these anxieties and, and fears swirling around in our head. And, and rarely does that actually happen. Like, like, you know, when my clients finally start and when I've, you know, but when men finally, specifically men who are in relationships, finally start speaking their truth, standing up for themselves, setting boundaries, you know, making their needs and priorities, they're 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 women and the women in their lives light up and and their relationship starts to flourish you know rarely do i see a man you know faces fears faces anxieties overcome his nice guy syndrome and uh, and then the woman reacts negatively to it i've never seen that happen i've seen it happen but it was not a healthy relationship and so, yeah. Well, if it does happen, it's it's yeah. probably for the for the better. right. Exactly. If you're standing up for yourself and you're setting healthy boundaries, and the person reacts very very poorly, that's a sign that that's not the right partner, right? Yeah, and, and, like, and yeah. you know that's that's some of the other things I work with guys on is like, I think we were talking earlier. Like, I would be a I would be a total hypocrite if I claim to be some kind of dating guru. Like I, I think it's a total shit show out there, but what I really work with guys on, you know, particularly when it comes to dating and relationships is thinking more abundantly, letting go of attachment to outcome, you know, being equally okay with whatever transpires. And if you, <clears throat> and I, you know, again, like, and I'll often, like if a new client comes to me and he's in a relationship and that relationship is suffering, often the first thing I'll ask him is, and this sounds negative and pessimistic and it's not meant to be, but the first thing I'll ask him is, 
do you do you know that this relationship can end and do you know you'll be okay if it does and you know some guys like they cannot even fathom the idea that their relationship might end and they don't think they'll be okay if it does because they've wrapped their entire identities up in, in this in this person and in, in this relationship so if it ends they they feel like they'll have nothing left and that's incredibly unhealthy so when i ask guys do you know that this could end and will you be do you know you'll be okay if it does once they come to that realization that yes this could end because most relationships do and if it does i will be fine i will survive <laughs> i i will life you know i will keep going once they come to that re- realization they start approaching their relationships differently they start approaching their relationships with more confidence they start mm-hmm. approaching their relationships um you know um in a more relaxed way they they start you know setting boundaries they start doing all that stuff and then their relationships flourish because that's what the women want mm-hmm. yeah well it's interesting i we just had a client recently who started working with us he's married and he's um i've seen it go two directions i've seen it go where most of the time, you know, like you were saying, it goes really well. It's kind of like the, the, his partner now is like, oh my God, you are so much sexier than you used to be. And yeah. not because of his looks, but because of how he's showing up and really being, being more of himself, bringing more of himself to the relationship and to her providing more structure in the home, there's this holding effect. Like he's holding, like he's more comfortable in himself. He's more comfortable how he's with how he's showing up. So he's able to provide more and she's receiving that, right? There's a, there's a healthy giving and receiving like an infinity loop. I think of sure. Yeah. Relationship there's giving and receiving there's giving and receiving on both sides. And so she's been able to relax and provide more, in her way to him and it's virtuous cycle. And, you know, to your point, it's so interesting because one of the major shifts that he came to, you know, with us working together was when she's upset, it's not my fault. Yeah, It's always my fault. And so the question became, instead of what can I do? We encouraged him to start asking, what are you needing right now? Yeah. It's a different question. What can I do assumes I am responsible for your well-being. You are clearly not okay. So I need to do something about it versus right. I'm here. I'm able to provide if you need it. What are you needing? That might be have to do with me. It might not have to do with me. But to your point, it's like going from codependent to interdependent, which right. is I'm not you and you're not me. And we get to be together. Because I, yeah. I love what you said about you know the the illusion of, if I only had a woman, my life would be okay. Or like, I'd be okay versus my life is okay. My life is good. I have connection, social connection. I have friends. I have community. I have mentors. I have dance class. I have whatever it is, right? I have a life. Right. And it would be wonderful to relate with a woman. Like that would add to my life and I would grow in all of these ways. That is different from, I'm not really happy and I'm not really okay with myself. And I, and if, but if I only had a woman, 
right. it would be okay and I would be okay. That was such a brilliant point that you made because yeah. there is a fundamental difference. And it's something that I've seen repeatedly is that men will come into our program for sex and dating and relationship stuff. And then they do the work and, and become more of themselves, but then their whole life improves. It's not just that arena, right? It's like their work life improves, their family life improves, like all of these sure. other areas because they're bringing more vitality and energy to it. And like you said, standing up for themselves. Yeah. So they're like, oh, I didn't have to tolerate this horrible manager. You know, yeah. when right. asked for manager, which I would yeah. never done before. And they said, yes, yeah. like, Hallelujah. Like, never even knew that was an option because yeah. I just I sort of took what I was given, which is yeah. a different leading than actually agency, which is here's what I've been given. What am I going to do with it? What am I going right. to do with it? Which is sort of a fundamental shift. And I think is one of the ways that one of the things that can really affect anxiety and depression is a sense of control, some kind of sense of control versus life is just happening to me. That's a recipe for depression and anxiety versus right. I mean, acting with life. Like I have choice, I have agency, I have some power here. And yeah. I think that's, that's a pretty, uh, yeah, I'm curious if you can speak to that part at all in your own journey. Yeah, I, 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 I totally agree. I mean, um, again, I, again, I, I, I think it's important to <clears throat> take kind of, to, instead of like, you know, chasing happiness, take, take inventory of your life and look at what's causing you unhappiness what's dragging you down what's making you miserable and a lot of those are you know really big parts of our life in which we don't feel we have control like you know if you're in a toxic job and you have a terrible boss and you're do like you know <laughs> um <clears throat> like i i worked in advertising for 15 years and i pretty much hated every second of it, but I just, I didn't feel like I had any control. I felt like I was stuck in that world. I didn't know how to get out of it. Every time I'd get a new job and I, you know, have a horrible boss, I felt like I have no control. Um, but you do have control. You always have a choice to make, you know, every, first of all, every relationship, whether it's a relationship with, your job or your boss, a relationship with a friend, with a family member, uh, or, you know, an intimate re re relationship. Every relationship is a choice and you always have the choice to walk away. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, we often think we don't have control, but we really do. And, and once you, you're, you're absolutely right. Once you take control of your life and <laughs> which again isn't always easy it can be scary you know it, it, it can be uh it, it can force you to <laughs> you know it can it, to do that you often have to change some of your core beliefs you have to shift your paradigm again it's not easy you know you have to face some of your fears but you have control you always have a choice and i think uh, you're right once you take some of your control back um, and start doing things that are more, start taking aligned action. A lot of that or some of that depression and anxiety will start to dissipate. Yes. And I, I want to bring in the role of mentors here. And I want to start talking about 
um, Dr. Glover and your book, because it feels like one of the one of the missing pieces that we have in our culture overall is elders. We don't have the same culture around being around people wiser than us on a regular basis who we can ask, you know, just be around their wisdom. And we used to live in tribes. We used to live in small communities and there was a lot more contact with people of different ages, younger and older. And the way that we live now is so isolated. And this is one of the reasons I'm an advocate of co-living communities and other places where we're actually living with more people that can help us get out of our head is that there is such a need and such a role for mentors and mentorship. Yeah. Um, people who have walked the path before us and can help guide us. And I think that's one of the huge valuable contributions that Dr. Glover has made is, you know, no more Mr. Nice Guy. When I started out as a coach, a, a woman coaching men who have sex with women, I, it was required reading. I was like, you need to read this book yeah. before we can work together. Right. Because this is it's confronting. I remember, I I remember distinctly being in New York city and I could tell that this neighbor of mine in my building had a crush on me and he was a total nice guy and I was never interested. And, um, and it wasn't about his physical appearance. His physical appearance was fine. It was how he was showing up right energetically. And I told him to read the book and he got really mad. Like he started reading it and he, well, passive aggressive mad, like not actual mad, but just like, you could tell he was really confronted. But to me, I was like, listen, other people have walked this path that you're on. And I'm just trying to point out that this might be able to help you. So yeah, yeah, I'm curious if you can talk a little bit about your own kind of discovery of Dr. Glover and his work and, and having that mentor in your life versus not, what changed? having, having someone who could talk about, Hey, I've seen this before. Here's what you can do about it, et cetera. Yeah. Um, (laughs) yeah, well, just to kind of touch on what you said, first of all, yeah, it's funny. A lot of, a lot of men read that book and become angry. (laughs) Uh, but you know, that's just because it describes them so well and they don't want to fucking admit it. (laughs) It's like, that's the first step, right? You have to admit or acknowledge that just like I did when I, when I, when that woman dumped me, it's like, you know, I had to go, okay, something's wrong with me here. (laughs) You know, um, what's my role in all this? Um, but you know, kind of coming full circle, um, you know, my, my, my dad died, like I mentioned earlier, just before I turned 30 and he, he was an absolutely amazing guy. He was, however, looking back, a pretty classic nice guy. Like, I did not have intimate conversations with him. He did not talk to me about the birds and the bees and how to navigate relationships and how to... Na- he he just... We didn't have that kind of relationship. So, you know, as much as I loved him, he really didn't serve as that sort of healthy masculine role model that I think a lot of men need. And you're right. Like we, we evolved in tribes and, you know, our, our male ancestors were initiated into the scary world of masculinity and that shit just doesn't happen today. So, so you're right. I think mentors, mentors are incredibly important. Uh, I, I found a mentor in Dr. Glover and I'm, incredibly grateful for that. 
Um, you know, like I kind of mentioned earlier, that discovery and that journey, it all started with a heartbreak. Um, but, you know, beyond that, beyond, beyond just like having a mentor or having a coach, um, you know, I, 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 I want to say this and, and basically reinforce what Dr. Glover says over and over and over again. And I say it in this new book over and over and over again, and it blows my mind how many men don't take it to heart, but you cannot do this work alone. That cannot be overstated. You cannot overcome depression, anxiety, nice guy syndrome, you know, self-limiting beliefs, toxic shame. You cannot overcome any of that shit alone. You have to find safe people. Um, so yeah, find a coach, find a therapist, join a 12 step group, join a men's group, you know, you know, find something that works for you. And, and look, just to be real, a a lot of, a lot of men, you know, a lot of men push back and say, well, that that's expensive or times are tough or, you know, they make excuses, but no excuses. Like, you know, even if times are tough, even if you're flat fucking broke, there's a way you can find a way. Like again, join a 12 step group, you know, find a free men's group online. Like there's a way, but you cannot do this work alone. You have to find safe a safe person or safe people to whom you can reveal yourself you have to yes you can't do it alone i can't tell you i mean i'm nodding vigorously for those of you who can't see me which this is a podcast so most of you can't see me um but yeah i if there's anything i've learned it's that the power of community cannot be overstated the power of community cannot be overstated it's everything and it's becoming you know a fundamental aspect of physical health, right? That it's, you know, science is repeatedly showing, we tend to think of physical health as eat well and exercise. And I would say eat well, exercise, socialize. You have to have safe people in your life, like you said, to whom you can truly reveal yourself, to whom you do, because seeing and being seen is one of the things that makes life worth living. Being for who you really are and seeing other people is one of the things that makes life worth living. And I feel like the way that our culture, the way that our culture isolates and separates boys as they're becoming men is, um, is one of the worst parts about our culture. It has so many ramifications. The fact that men grow up feeling isolated and disconnected from each other and are shamed we're connecting with each other and um, f- viciously shamed and bullied. Yeah. It has so many ramifications. So I can't tell you how many of the men, how many men I've worked with who have said things like, I wish I'd done this sooner. I just, I wish I could, I wish I could have done this. You know, we work with guys, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. I think 72, we had a client that was 72 last year. Yeah. And to a man, all of the men that weren't, you know, in their twenties, even the ones in their twenties are like, man, I wish I'd been able to do this work in as a teenager. 
everyone has said, I wish I could have done this sooner because those years spent in isolation, those years spent trying to do it alone. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that's true. And also I think, you know, like me, I always was trying to gain the affection, attention, and approval of women. Uh, And eventually you realize how much men need other men. Uh, And actually when you have, when men have healthy relationships with other men, they have healthy relationships with women. But, you know, I, I don't think I need to tell you, I'm sure you've seen the articles lately, you know, men are lonely, men are suffering, you know, Uh, male loneliness is a silent epidemic. Like, Men are fucking lonely. Men need other men. And like you said, that's how we evolved. We evolved in tribes, you know? Um, And we are just so isolated and withdrawn. And like I was telling you earlier, like men need to get the fuck off the internet and like, (laughs) um, you know, or at least consume better content when they're on the internet. Because God, I mean, I can't think of a bigger contributor to depression and anxiety amongst men than the fucking internet. Um, but yeah, men need other men. I mean, I, I have, you know, I, I, I have a program called integrated man university that, um, is a group program for men. And yeah, the best part about it every Monday night, we, we all hop on zoom and we have a two hour long group call with each other. And sometimes we get real deep. And sometimes we just shoot the shit, but you know, we, you know, all these men, they are now part of a tribe. Yeah. You know, and they didn't have that before. Yeah. Um, And it's so important. Yeah. And it's, it's revealing, you know, it's revealing. It's, it's, I feel like it's one of those things that gives me hope is that it does feel like there's more and more awareness and consciousness around what we're talking about. And so I think there are more solutions coming online. And I guess I just, yeah, I want to encourage those of you listening, like you don't have to take perfect action, but you do have to take action. And the action to take, like we're saying is don't do it alone. Stop trying to do it alone. It's it's time to get into community. It's time to do something with other people where you are seen deeply and where you can deeply see others. And finding the right mentors and finding the right spaces with safe people is is part of why I have this podcast. It's part of why I do this is to encourage and to spread the word and to kind of really make it real for people. So that because consuming podcasts is great, reading books is great and getting into the room with people virtual or otherwise that is that is a game changer and sure. i i and i think i appreciate what you said about nothing is a panacea because but this is a big one community is a big one right and and you know you mentioned yeah, yeah transcendental sure. meditation <laughs> i have clients who've also had transformational experiences around that it's not like it's magical it's not like you're going to get in a men's group and your whole life is going to change but it's a big part, right? Community is a big part, you know, diet and exercise and all of that, you know, meditation and, you know, physical things that you do, which is part of what, what we do in our program too, is here's a bunch of embodiment practices because issues are in your tissues. 
Like that's important too. They're all important pieces, but I love that you and Dr. Glover kind of um, beat that drum about you can't do this alone. It's really important that you do this with other people because we grow through connection. We become reconnected to ourselves often through other people witnessing us. That's how infants grow. They are witnessed by caregivers and that's how they develop a sense of self. We don't magically come in with it. We need other people to help us. We need other people to become who we are. For sure. Yeah. And, and, you know, you also get more accurate feedback from, from other men. I mean, um, you know, I have so many men who come into the group and, you know, Dr. Glover shared these stories too, but men who just come in feeling so much shame around something that happened in their life. Like, you know, like Dr. Glover always shares this story. It's a real quick one. So I'll just, I'll make it super quick, but like there was a guy in one of his men's groups. He was like in his early forties, African-American guy. And he just had an enormous amount of shame. He just thought he was the most awful person because when he was like 14, he stole a car stereo and he just carried this with him his whole life. And then finally in this men's group, he shared his story. He shared the story of how he stole a car stereo and all the other guys were like, what? That's it. We, we all did dumb shit like that, you know, but like for him, like, that was life-changing. He got more accurate feedback, you know, from revealing himself to save people, you know, and he realized like he didn't have to carry around all this shame anymore. And I realize that's, you know, a small example, but it's the power of, of a men's group, you know? And I also, I also will say uh, what you said about taking action, <laughs> you know, other than community, I can't think of anything closer to a to a, a a solution or a panacea than just taking action. Just fucking do something. Like you know, yeah, just get out of the house. Like if yeah, move to that new city. Like quit that job. Approach that girl. Like you know, put on your fucking running shoes. Just do something. Take take some kind of action. You know. Yeah. Find the right. You can't think your way out of this shit, and 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 action motivate. You cannot. Motivation does not inspire action. Action inspires motivation. So, just do something for God's sake. (laughs) You know. Yeah. So as we wrap here, um, can you tell us a little bit about the book and your intention behind writing it and how it's been going with it since it's been published? Yeah, it's been great. Um, Dr. Glover pitched me the idea in like October of 2020. Um, and uh, I didn't hesitate. I immediately said yes. Uh, I'm eternally grateful. He could have asked anyone to write it. He could ask, He could have written it himself <laughs> probably. But I think he really trusts me and really loves my writing. So I'm grateful that he asked me. Um then his assistant sent me a Dropbox folder with like everything he's ever fucking done in his 40 year career. So I literally thousands of, you know, hours and pages of content. So, you know, I spent, you know, several months just 
going through all of the content and trying to figure out how to organize it in in a really meaningful, easily digestible way. So, but then once I came up with that outline, um, yeah, it took me probably a year and a half to write it. It's a hefty book. It's about 500 pages. Um, and it, like the cover says a man's guide to almost everything. And that's, really what it is. It's a man's guide to almost everything. It encapsulates, you know, Dr. Dr. Glover's everything, all of Dr. Glover's best wisdom he's put forth over his 40 plus year career. Um, the greatest hit. Yeah. It's divided into like nine major sections. So, you know, nice guy syndrome, masculinity and femininity attraction dating relationships sex heartbreak happiness uh and like success and so yeah it really really uh it really runs the gamut um i really leave no stone unturned uh i did i've it's written in my voice um and so i that was kind of the biggest challenge was like how do i cover all of Dr. Glover's theories and wisdom and, you know, all of his stuff, but put my own spin on it, write it in my voice and weave in my own anecdotes and experiences. But, um, I did it <laughs> and, uh, I'm really proud of it. And I think Dr. Glover is really proud of it. And the feedback's been awesome. And, um, yeah, it's been great. I, I just, I hope, you know, I hope people read it and I hope um people take something away from it and I mean I, I you know <clears throat> I guess my intention I don't know if it if it changes even one life I guess uh then I I feel like I've done a good job but uh you know I really just wanted to write something really engaging uh really inspiring, really informative. And obviously I wanted to make Dr. Glover super proud. Um, and I think I've done that. And so well, it's, called, it's called the big stick collected and applied wisdom from the teachings of Dr. Robert Glover. And it's on currently uh, the um, it's on Kindle and paperback. And then the audio book actually drops in January. Oh, so I'm excited for that. Nice. Yeah. Well, Mazel Tov. I know how big an undertaking I, that is. I have written a book myself and it was, it was a lot. It was a lot of work. So I can't, yeah, I can't imagine that moment of getting the Dropbox link and being like, whoa, <laughs> that's a lot of material. This is going to be, it's going to be a project. So congratulations yeah. on that. And thank you so much. I'll drop the link in the show notes. Um, and yeah, any last any last thoughts for any men listening who are working on just yeah, just overcoming depression and anxiety? Um yeah, I mean, I I hope <laughs> I hope they took something away from this conversation. I I you know, I hope I wasn't too all over the place, but um make a promise to yourself to do the work. You know, again, I don't think, you know, you can just switch on happiness or switch off your depression, but you can make an unbreakable promise to yourself to do the work. And I think that's a good place to start. 
you know, take stock of your life and, you know, start working or getting rid of the things that are really dragging you down. Uh, and don't do it alone, you know, don't do it alone. Uh, whether it's depression or anxiety or self-limiting beliefs or toxic shame or nice guy syndrome, you can't overcome that stuff alone. So, you know, find a coach, find a mentor, find a men's group, you know, don't do it alone. I love that. I would, I would echo that and highlight that and say, that if you are interested in our community, you can always go to evolutionary.men slash apply. And then I'm at TonyEndelman.com. 